Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 157 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is game week. We're almost there. And joining me to talk about that and many other things is the great Eric Cole. What's up, man? What's going on, man? It's a nice late night to talk some baseball. We're like 48 hours away from actual baseball. I'm pretty excited. For sure. Um, And just so people know, we're recording this on Tuesday evening. Uh, Later in the pod, you will hear me talk to Scott Coleman, the uh, other frequent co-host of this podcast, which I actually recorded before this. Um, so there you go. Um, we talked to Scott, and uh, Scott and I had some uh, fun getting season predictions off. I, I, I definitely wanted to get those on the record with both of you in various forms. So if you are interested in Scott's takes, uh, I actually kept most of my predictions. At least I, I plan to keep most of my predictions for that particular uh, segment. So that'll be the second half of this podcast. But before then, Eric and I will talk about the news. And also get Eric's predictions so that I can make sure everyone is heard before the season starts. Because if anything is very important in this life, Eric, is that we all have predictions on the record because they're all obviously going to be all correct by the time the season ends. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. You know, and people certainly won't, you know, take them take them out of context or, you know, with revisionist history and talk about how dumb or smart you are, you know, without actually looking at the actual information in hand. So I'm pretty excited Never. to throw some baseless information out there and you know basically talk basically talk some baseball and you know hope for the best yes uh, all right well before we get to the predictions there is some news to hit on over the last you know week a week and a half since we recorded on the podcast some roster moves that we'll start with now two new additions over the last 10 days or so and that is Josh Tomlin and Matt Joyce a couple of veterans who people at least might have a recollection of uh, Tomlin isn't a flashy neither neither one, neither one of these guys is very flashy but they're both major league caliber players um, let's just start with Tomlin first apparently the plan is to have him in a long relief role at the beginning of the season and it's probably good to have some sort of insurance someone who started in the majors and been a solid pitcher for the most part but what, what did you make of adding Josh Tomlin at the relatively late hour I think we kind of thought that that might happen maybe not Tomlin himself but someone in that time yeah i mean i thought it was possible especially when you have some guys that are dinged up and as maybe he might be one of those guys that as guys get added to the rotation they might add back to the rotation from being hurt then you may maybe move one of those starters that's in that starting spot into that long relief role maybe in a max freed or something like that uh, i'm not a big fan of like long relievers that throw low 90s and are kind of junk ballers but he's he has performed okay i guess i don't know he's just an arm to me i'm not super enthused about it enthused about him but i'm also understanding of the fact that he's not a guy that i'm thinking he's going to get a ton of high leverage innings or anything like that he's kind of the guy that when your starter gets bounced in the third you he can go out there and give you some innings so that you know you don't burn out your bullpen so again it's not it's not an exciting signing i'm not like upset about it in the sense that i don't think he's gonna get like 60 appearances this year or anything like that but i'd also am cognizant of the fact that I just don't think he he might not be long for the bullpen, I should say. Yeah, I mean, this is something where if it, if it doesn't go well, it costs you virtually nothing. Exactly. Uh, it's worth pointing out 
2018, he was awful. Uh, he had an ERA over six and was uh, a very damaging pitcher for the Indians in a hybrid starter reliever role. Um, he had some bad luck, it looks like, in terms of, of the statistical profile, but he was not good last year. Um, he apparently went to driveline over the winter and spent some time there, and uh, I read a few things about that. You know, It's all kind of just what it is. Uh, Tomlin has been solid in the past as a starter and as a long reliever, but you know, you kind of just don't know till you see him. I, I'm on board with bringing in a veteran. I, I'm not sure he would he, he would have would have been the guy that I went with, but as you note, there are, there is enough uncertainty with the rotation right now that you want someone who can go out and throw three or four innings for you um, and not get just murdered. And maybe Tommy will get murdered because he was again really bad last year, like excru- excruciatingly so in about 70 innings. But still, you know, big picture wise, I think this is this, that move does make sense. Because I guess they don't necessarily want to have one of the young starters in that exclusive long reliever role. Um, you know, it could have been could have been someone like Max Fareed, for instance. But he's, he's going to start, as we're going to talk about here a little, in a little bit. And they have Tuki in the minors already, so I guess they wanted a veteran in that role. And um, you know, Tomlin is someone that they added. It wasn't like it was a crazy exciting move. But the one thing that he doesn't do is walk people, which I always enjoy. Like he doesn't. He does a lot of other things, not that great, but he has a career walk rate of 1.33 per nine innings, which is like Maddox-like. It's like he doesn't. He, do, he does not walk anyone. Um, yep. He's not necessarily good um, beyond that. But it's the one thing. This one thing that's sort of a contrast between him and the rest of the, and him and the rest of the, of the rotation and the bullpen. Honestly, is that he just throws a lot of strikes. Yep, throws 90 miles an hour, and it will be in the strike zone. So we'll, you know, we'll see. Uh, I, yes, again, it's not something, not something that I'm super, not 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 a sign that it like kind of moved the needle for much of me either way. But you know, at the same time, you know, the way the bullpen's going to have to be because of the the state of the rotations, it's it's a it's a perfectly fine signing. Yep, I totally agree. Nothing crazy, but it was something we haven't talked about yet, so I wanted to lead off with that. Um, the other addition is Matt Joyce, who was. I guess a little bit more surprising because it looks like he's going to open um, the season in, um, I guess, on the Major League roster, and that means Adam Duvall will not. We'll hold the Duvall stuff for a second, but Joyce is someone who is a little bit older than you might think. He's almost 35. He'll turn 35 in August, but a platoon-level outfielder, a guy with a career 121 WRC plus against right-handed pitching. He really hits right. He's well, always has, has not hit left-handed pitching very well. And again, he's kind of a limited older guy. He's not been like lights out. Um, you know, last year he was just okay. Um, but you know, he kind of has a pretty defined skill set. Like he he hits righties, and he's a professional you know bench bat essentially at this point at this point in time. Maybe if you got into a situation where you had to play him more than that, he would be okay in most situations because you'd rather have a guy who's platoon heavy against righties and lefties. But that's kind of what Matt Joyce is, and um, looks like he's going to make the team though ahead of Duvall. Yeah, it's a little bit interesting to me just because. Matt Joyce is like a super kind of safe bench bat. Uh, we, we were Brad and I were actually arguing about this before the podcast. Is like what level, of like if he's like the third <laughs> best, fourth bench bat, bench bat on this team right now. Um, and th- that bar is pretty low in terms of just what I find to be acceptable. When you're, he, he's not going to be a primary p- pinching op- option. It's just not going to happen. And it's he's kind of a guy that you, if you have an unexpected situation come up, you can bring him in and face a righty. Uh, whether it be someone getting hurt or, you know, having to pull someone early or something like that. He's not going to be like, you know, the guy you bring up with like, you know, second and third, you know, <laughs> in in the eighth inning against their top setup guy or something like that. I mean, at least they sh- shouldn't. But um, he doesn't ha- he's really safe in the sense that he draws a lot of walks and he's, you know, again, he hits righties reasonably well, but he doesn't really have a ton of upside either. And that's kind of one of the reasons I was kind of excited to see Adam Duvall in that role 
is that at, at the very least Adam Duvall does have power and you know he could he could ultimately change the game with one swing of the bat and that's not something that Matt Joyce can necessarily do but other than like for like two games this spring Adam Duvall's been bad again um, and I had I guess I hadn't really thought about the fact that Duvall still had options and when they optioned him to Gwinnett I was, that kind of made me think okay well now they're definitely going to have to sign they, they they must have their eye on a bench pet that they like uh, more than him and give him some more time to get you know get right down in Gwinnett but you know again it's it's one of those situations that when you have you know pick, you know a pick them between McCann and Flowers Culberson and Camargo they're going to be on the bench or whoever Camargo is replacing that day on the bench you're going to have good bench bats that you can bring up and having a guy like Joyce on the roster is not going to be something that's going to like make or break you and that's that's kind of how I viewed it I'm just a little bit surprised in the sense that I do think that Duval definitely has more upside than Joyce does but he's probably but Joyce is definitely safer in the sense that you know in the worst case scenario he's a guy that will draw his fair share of walks and then the, the lineup can turn over yeah, that's kind of what this comes down to, honestly, in my opinion, is that, you know, the Duvall thing is interesting because of the money more than anything. Like, they're, they're going to have to pay him what he's owed and optioning him instead of cutting him. So I guess they, at least somewhere along the way, still believe that he might be able to fix this um, or they would have cut him. Uh, but at the same time, Joyce is safer. And, you know, I guess if you were to squint and tell me that you would prefer to have a, a guy who hits righties better than lefties off the bench, I would kind of see that because you have Culberson. Um, you know, Camargo is kind of just this, you know, he's, he's a switch hitting kind of guy. Um, you probably need another lefty more than a righty, but, you know, it doesn't really matter all that much. Um, I just think, you know, Joyce is safer, as you said. And, you know, barring some sort of weirdness in the outfield, um, they clearly were not going to go into the year with anyone but these top three guys starting most days. And if they do that, it might be Camargo. So, you know, having the Duvall every day, maybe maybe higher upside option doesn't really matter as much when you have three kind of fully entrenched outfielders plus Camargo. So if you just want to have a bench bat that's safer and, uh, you know, a quote professional hitter, end quote, that's my choice. And that's fine. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like I said, they're pretty low profile moves. And, you know, again, do I think there maybe there have been some slightly better options out there? Perhaps some. Um, there's you, you see Twitter timelines being like these guys. This guy's been cut. This guy's been cut. But you know, again, this is kind of a guy that's just like a fairly safe option, and he's not gonna. He's not gonna. He's not gonna light the world on fire. He might get a, a pinch hit that's gonna be a big here and there. But he's. This is not. Th- this signing is not gonna be one of those ones that you know defines a season or anything like that. To be sure, uh, he's not. He he's not going to win like the six man award or something for bench bats or anything like that. But you'll he's not going to be Emilio Bonifacio up there. Ooh, that's a name from the past that we will just breeze right past here, <laughs> Eric. Uh, to be sure, um, those were those the, were painful. The Ryan the days. He, he is not Ryan Flaherty. He is not. Yeah, that. Matt Joyce is better than that. Uh, we'll say that for sure. Um, speaking of the options to Gwinnett, um, let's just point out the fact that. You know, other than Duvall, who we just noted, uh, they have to pay. He's still in the organization, and we that's the plan. It appears he'll be there, and they'll they'll be paying him. Um, n- a couple of other, I mean, not really surprises, but noteworthy items. Mike Soroka was the first guy they optioned um, of of this group that we'll talk about. I know you have thoughts on him as always. Uh, Tuki Toussaint is in Gwinnett as well. Dana Winkler is in Gwinnett, which is kind of a surprise in some ways because he was you know a fringe All Star candidate last year at one point. Um, and then Sam Freeman was uh, outrighted and then actually released, which was. Kind of a surprise, considering how much love they've had for Sam Freeman in the past. So, any of that stuff strike you as noteworthy or worth of discussion? Uh, the, the idea that the only way that they can keep 
Brian Snitker from running Sam Freeman out there 60 times a year just by releasing him off the roster. It cracks me up to no end. Uh, they have too many, they had too many lefties in their bullpen. And that's ultimately what I think that came down to is that of all their lefties they had in the pen, he's the guy that was like one of the most guilty of like really, really tough innings, a lot of walks and a lot of inconsistency. And that was kind of a, a numbers game. He, he definitely had some moments for the Braves out of the bullpen, but he, there was also a lot of games where you're just like, just get out of this inning without giving up more than one run. You know what I mean? And he just, he was a really polarizing figure amongst, amongst fans. Cause like when he was good, he was good. But when he wasn't, it was, you know, like watching a very, very slow train wreck. Um, I'm a little surprised at Winkler. I just wonder if maybe that either he's not quite right or there's something else going on mechanically with him that they're trying to get, they're trying to give him some time down in Gwinnett to fix before he comes back up. Cause you're right. He was really, really good, but you know, the spring was kind of iffy for him and maybe they thought that they could get something, you know, someone better in there. But you know, it's hard for me to believe that Dan Winkler wouldn't be better than Josh Tomlin or someone like that. Um, and I know they fit different roles, but it's, I, I wonder if there's something they want to work on. Uh, Tuki and Soroka at this point weren't weren't that surprising. Soroka had a really late start. Uh, we have everything we had heard is that he had, didn't have any setbacks or anything. It's just any other setbacks or anything. It's just that he's got such a late start that he was going to have to get time in Gwinnett anyway to be able to force his way into a rotation spot. And as for Tuki, he you know he still has that electric stuff, but he had some pretty rough outings in the spring. And when you have this many starting pitching options that are like kind of of similar level to him, those kind of double and triple A guys that have some major league time, you know, when you have Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson and you have that luxury of, you know, being able to pick and choose from young starters, you know, the the guys who are playing the best right now are the ones that are going to be getting the first crack at it. But I also think that there's going to be so much rotating in and out between Atlanta and Gwinnett that I don't think Tukey's going to be down there for long. And he might, he might, he might be making some trips you know, from Gwinnett and driving over to SunTrust a few times over the first couple months until they kind of get a sense as to who they want to stick in there. So it wasn't that surprising, but you know, other than the fact that I was a little bit surprised to see Winkler go down. Yeah. He was the one that I kind of bumped on as well. You know, Freeman being released was kind of surprising to me. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, and, uh, we'll see if those guys, I'm, I'm sure Tukey will be up at some point. Obviously Soroka will be if he's healthy and Winkler, I expect to be back in the majors at some point along the way. So keep an eye on those guys to be sure. Um, okay. One, I guess two more things to hit on before we get to the predictions on your end. Um, the opening rotation, um, has been laid out by, by Brian Snicker and it's going to be as follows. It's Julio Tehran in game one, Bryce Wilson in game two, Cal Wright in game three. Sean Newcomb in Game 4, and then Julio again in Game 5, Max Freed in Game 6, and then the plan is for Kevin Gosman to come off of the IL for Game 7. So that's six, um, that's, uh, sorry, yeah, six, six, six different pitchers being uh, deployed in a uh, very small period of time, that, and that does not include Mike Voltanevich. So that's a lot of different arms that we'll see over the first week plus. Um, any surprises there? I think we talked about Julio being the opening day starter on a previous podcast, but uh, both Bryce Wilson and Kyle Wright making starts in the first week is uh, exciting for you, I'm sure. Uh, it is. I really am happy for Bryce. He kind of was overshadowed in that draft class of his, and all the guy's done is pitch his brains out in the minor leagues. And just. And last year he went. He started the year in high A, and he ended the year in the major leagues. And he, and he came out of high school. This isn't a college pitcher that did that. So he's, you know, he, he's really, really 
aggressive aggressive on the mound in terms of like attacking hitters and he's a th- the guy that throws strikes and you know sometimes that that bites him a little bit but most of the time you know it's something that you like to see a, a pitcher that's willing to challenge hitters uh, and make them hit their stuff fastballs really live so and he's looked good this spring so I'm happy that he got in Kyle Wright's a little bit more I don't want to say troubling it's just kind of I, I'm interested to see what happens because this happened a lot last year too is it seems like you'll get like two to three good innings out of Kyle and you'll look like one of the top pro- pitching prospects in baseball. But that second time through the lineup, it feels like his command kind of gets away from him. And I've seen it enough where I wonder what's going on. If that makes any sense. He, again, the, the stuff's really live. He, you know, he's that, that kind of that cutting slider and then his fastballs again, has a ton of movement on it. And he's, the guy knows how to pitch, but the command, especially like once he kind of gets, you know, 50 or 60 in, uh, pitches on his arm, isn't as good and it's not as crisp and you know he thing pitches kind of get away from him and i'm interested to see how that translates to the starter role in the major leagues so far he still has plenty of time to figure all this out and it might just be a question of a little bit of fatigue or maybe just some adjustments he's trying to make and they're not really working out there's a lot of things it could be but i'm obviously i'm happy both these guys got in and i i do believe in both of them but you know right in particular is a guy that i might be a little lower on than a lot of other people are and it's not that i don't think he's like like you know one of the one of the Braves top pitching prospects it's just that there are I've seen these things happen where like all of a sudden he'll like you know in the third or fourth inning or something he'll all of a sudden walk two guys and give up a single and then he gets kind of gets in trouble and he's a guy that can strike bat- batters out but it kind of gets a little bit squirrely at times for me so he, he's a guy I want to see how he does in that situation even though I concede that especially early in the spring he looked really really good yeah, I mean, that's I will generally defer to you on these guys that you've seen a lot more than I have. Um, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, not a huge surprise seeing the rotation based on how this spring started, but uh, it's interesting to hear that from you because I think, um, you know, Wright's pedigree is what it is. But yeah, just something to keep in mind to be sure. Yeah, he, he had some of those springs starts later in the spring too, where it just felt like things kind of got away from him from one inning. Um, like that haven't even happened today. So, well, why do you we'll think Carl Wright, Eric? <laughs> go ahead go ahead and send me your hate send me your tweets i'm fine with it <laughs> uh all right we can move on from there <laughs> um the last couple of things uh it was it was interesting basically it's been about a week now since this has happened but there was interesting back and forth uh, involving craig kimbrell about a week ago with dave o'brien of the, of the athletic kind of putting him on the table and uh re- i guess reportedly uh putting the braves and brewers in a sort of a jockeying match for craig kimbrell position and then moments later, uh, Mark Bowman said um, pretty swiftly that the Braves did not offer anything to, to Craig Kimbrell. Um, granted, this is about a week ago now. Things, things could have changed. But Kimbrell is unsigned, as is Dallas Keuchel, on March 26th. Baseball will be played on March 28th. So this is kind of insane that they're both still unsigned. Has anything changed for you? I know I wanted to at least cover this because it, it was sort of a brief, meteoric talking point for about a day when um, DOB unveiled that little nugget. But um, because it was shot down and it's been quiet ever since then, I'm, I'm inclined to not worry too much about it. Before I get to my thoughts, I want to actually describe this tale of what happened with D.O.B. on this day because it was actually pretty hysterical. First, he puts Kimbrel's name in the pl- place of Minters in a tweet, which got people all <laughs> sorts of yes, riled up. Right. And he's like, oh, no, no, sorry. It was just a typo. I was talking to someone about Kimbrel. Again, completely understandable. Still very funny. Still worth making fun of him a little bit about. Then like an hour later. He puts out the Kimbrel, this Kimbrel tweet, and I think you're right. I think it might have been two or three minutes. I mean, it it might not have been, but it really felt like, oh wow, 
Kimbrel Kimbrel's still talking to the Braves. Okay, that'd be sweet. And then Bowman's like, no. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> and, and, I mean, to be fair, uh, slightly, and I would say it's about anybody, um, I'm always in I'm always sort of pushed back on you know, I do more more reporting to be sure in my basketball job. Um, but I always push back on people that are really definitive with what front offices are not going to do because they might have told you that, but they also don't have to tell the media the truth kind of thing, which is what yeah. it's important. So it's not a shot at Bowman by any means, but he was very definitive that the Braves did not offered anything. It's like, well, no, Mark, they, they told you they haven't offered you. They haven't offered anything, which is different. Um, they probably, and that means they probably haven't. But uh, in general, I, I like to push back a little bit on the definitive stuff that's reported um, just because trusting front office, even even if, you, even if it's a valued source, trusting that person with 100% impunity is not necessarily a wise decision in these kind of situations. But it was hilarious the way that it unfolded and the way that you described it there. I actually forgot about the uh, the missed uh, the misplaced mentor Kimbrel tweet. I actually forgot about that. I did see that going come across, but that was very funny. And uh, I mean, <laughs> it, no one, I don't no one should be that surprised if Kimbrel ends up in Atlanta because you know there's been enough smoke where it's not like insane. And again, it's almost April. He's not signed. Baseball's going to be happening. He's not going to be ready to pitch. That's insane. Um, but. You know, there's just a lot going on here. I feel like we talk about it every podcast because there's always something little that pops up, some report somewhere, and this yeah, time some picture of Anthopolis at a basketball game in Alabama must mean that he's going to visit Kimbrel or uh, that was one that was one of my personal favorites. Uh, I, I guess the, my general takeaway from this offseason and just in general is that I don't trust a word that comes out of this front office's mouth whatsoever. Uh, just I feel like there's a lot of misdirection and it's for strategic purposes and I, I get that. So uh, sure. if, if 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 I hear something like from Bowman that says we have not offered Craig Kimbrell like something that definitive, it almost makes me think, okay, maybe there is actually something to the story because they <laughs> because they literally don't say anything to anybody unless there's a reason. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, it's just something I wanted to point out. And again, I, I'm a I'm a big Mark Bowman fan, so I'm not taking a shot. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's not just, Mark's fault at all. It's just one of those things where I I recoil a little bit when I see something that that's that definitive um, by any front office in any sport, just because it's not necessarily always going to be. They don't have it. They don't really have a lot of incentive to tell the truth all the time. Um, <laughs> exactly. Okay, we we can leave that there because Kimbrel, you know, I'm sure he's going to sign after I post this podcast, but it's just one of those things. Um, last thing, pre predictions, uh, news wise, there was some Tom Glavin interesting stuff today on Tuesday, uh, in addition to him being in the booth, because apparently he's going to do like 60 games this year. I, at least I read that today somewhere. That's a lot more than he's been doing previously, so we'll have more Tom Glavin in our lives, but this is not why I'm bringing it up right now. Um, you actually put, you actually sort of shine the light on this a little bit towards me at this point in time, but Glavin had some very interesting comments about the ownership group, um, Liberty uh, specifically, and given that he is uh, on the air pretty regularly for the Braves, it was even more surprising that he would say something like, that he said here, but I'll let you lay it out what, uh, what Glavin actually said and what kind of impact it might have. Well, first Glavin laid it out in the sense that he sounded excited about the prospect of maybe being the owner of a team one day, particularly the Braves. And it felt kind of like he was, if, if this felt a little bit out of left field, it's not like, you know, like there's a rumored story that Glavin's interested in, you know, in potentially getting, you know, some sort of, some sort of ownership interest in the Braves or a baseball team or anything like that. Uh, I don't know exactly how the story necessarily came about. Uh, but when he was asked specifically about Liberty Media, his his exact quote was, "My only complaint is the perception that that this team is with them is such such a secondary business with what they do that it's all a spreadsheet in the bottom line. I can't say the player side of me or the fan side of me loves that. 
you want to know that, hey, if your team has a chance to win, to do something, you're going to go for it. No knock on Alex or anybody here, but the lack of what they've done this winter speaks to that mindset. We can't, quote unquote, we can't afford, we can't afford to have that contract. And that's not mincing words. You know what I mean? Like he, he makes sure to, you know, not include, you know, Anthopolis in that situation or anything like that. But that's not simply saying that, you know, I do wish that the Braves would spend a little bit more money or that's, there's not a lot, a lot of hedging in that. It's, it's saying that right now this perception is bad and a lot of a lot of who he is as a person doesn't like it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because he is in this weird role. Uh, Glavin was a union rep forever, uh, was famously yep. visible during the strike stuff, by the way. So he has a long history with some interesting, uh, you know, just big picture thoughts on markets stuff and just the way that business actually works. Um, so he's a very informed party, you have to say. And I, I think he kind of speaks for everyone when he talks about this, um, at least the fan base. Like no one, no one in the fan base can, you know, regardless of how strongly you feel about the off about this off season, no one can be thrilled with the what, what, in the fan base with how the team is being run at the ownership level right now because they clearly do not have winning as the number one priority. If you're if you're a fan, that's what you want. It may, it may not be realistic because all these guys want to make money. But when you have this like faceless corporation that owns your team, um, they're always going to care about money more than the product. Like if it's one person or it's a small ownership group, you can at least can have that their, their competitive side kick in. And I know they have a representative, you know, Terry McGurk's there, and he's sort of the bridge. But at the end of the day, there's not like one person that is responsible for this, like a la Ted Turner. It's not that. So you know, I get that frustration. I've ha- we've we've shared it on this podcast about how frustrating it can be. So you know. Glavin's kind of speaking for everyone in that way. I thought it was interesting and noteworthy. I just don't know how much it changes anything. So it's like it kind of made the rounds today, and I, and I, I sort of understood why, but it doesn't necessarily make much of an impact. Yeah, again, it just seemed like a weirdly timed story to talk about how, about, yeah. about about how like Glavin would be interested in being an owner, and then talking about what he his thoughts on Liberty. I mean, again, maybe it just been maybe the product of a conversation that was had, and it just kind of grew into a story. But at the same time, I'm just like why are we asking Glavin about his thoughts on Liberty media? <laughs> um, but, and why is he sharing them? Cause again, with his broadcasting uh, connections and you know, that's his job. It seems to be a weird, it, it seemed to be kind of a weird sort of tenor to the whole thing. But again, you know, I, I don't think he's necessarily wrong. Um, it's just, it's been a it's it's been such a weird off season and it's kind of hard to gauge exactly what has been actually discussed as viable options versus just kind of you know looking at these bottom line type considerations. So you know right now I'm just kind of glad that actual baseball is going to be happening here in about you know 36 hours or so. Yes, sign me up. Um, it, we're almost there. Um, yep. and speaking of that, let's talk about some uh, predictions. Let's get your predictions on the record, Eric. As I said before. I'm going to save my definitive stuff for the Scott portion of this podcast because we did not do any news, any news at all on that. That's only predictions pretty much. But let's get to yours now. Um, I'm going to run down these categories briefly, and we'll see how you uh, weigh in, and we'll see how we kind of line up on this one. Um, we'll start with the negative stuff first, get that out of the way. Um, and I asked as, Scott this, for sure, for sure, uh, as, we'll get, as expected here. We'll get it out of the way. We have, we have to do it, so might, might as well just do it first. Might, might, we'll, we'll sort Hashtag of build to, to a crescendo after this. Yes. Um, <laughs> but if, you, if I had to, if I asked you for a disappointing pitcher and a disappointing hitter on this team compared to expectations, where would you go with those particular uh, distinctions? Uh, for the pitcher, I would probably say Sean Newcomb. I just, he in is kind of infuriating to watch someone that has that 
good as stuff. Nibble at hitters the way he does, kind of fall apart on the mound when he has runners on base the way he does, and just his inability to command the strike zone and command his pitches to limit his walks because, I mean, the walks aren't getting any better. And I just, you know, people saw that first half and, you know, he almost threw that no-hitter and you, you think maybe he's finally starting to turn turn things around and then the second half happened. And at some point you have to wonder if maybe this is just who he is. Is this a guy that has, you know, an electric arm and big-time talent but just can't find the strike zone enough to be end up being a good pitcher? Uh, that's not to say he's not a major leaguer because that, that, that seems like a bit of a stretch. But if you're – it's hard for me to see, especially what we've seen out of him in spring, uh, as well as the you know the time he's been in Atlanta the last year or two. It's hard to see him really kind of making that step to really solidifying a spot in the rotation. When you have to kind of like pause for a minute to say, is if someone asks you, is Sean Newcomb guaranteed a roster spot? And if you have to pause at this point in time, then there's a chance that he's really going to kind of break your heart. As for a hitter. Uh, I mean, I'm disappointed that Nick Markekis is in the lineup, but I can't necessarily change anything about that. And my expectations aren't particularly high for him either. So I don't know if he's going to disappoint in expectations or anything like that. Uh, I think just the catching platoon in general could be really disappointing. When people are looking at Tyler Flowers and Michael, Brian McCann, those are two guys that have had production in the past who have some name recognition and do some things well. I mean, Flowers, you know, his pitch framing, uh, which famously made his, you know, Fangrass career war go up significantly, which made me laugh a lot. But and then you have Brian McCann, and these are two guys that have had some offensive, have had some offensive success in the past, uh, especially McCann, who has a long and lengthy career of being a very good hitter. I think that pe- the Braves could very feasibly miss having Kurt Suzuki in this lineup regularly more than we realize obviously McCann and flowers could, you know, perform admirably and, you know, that'd still be a reasonable production out of your pitchers. But those are both, those are two guys who are both getting older who have not shown signs of like necessarily getting better at the plate. In fact, both seem to be getting worse and that's troubling. So if I'm picking two, I'm going to say that because there's other guys like Ender and Ciarte and Nick Marcakis that I don't think uh, I have particularly high expectations for, so I'm not going to be disappointed if they don't, you know, put up all-star level or like really strong production. But that catching platoon could be could be a little bit rough. Yeah, I think that's a pretty interesting and I think potentially accurate um, insight there because the catching platoon. I think we talked about this before a lot on this podcast. They've been really underrated recently. In the last couple of years, I think Flowers and Suzuki have been really good when compared to the baseline of catcher across the league, and um, if that takes a step back, it's an advantage that the Braves have had the last couple of years that will not be there if they take a step back. And it might be a small one, but it's something that I think is worth discussing, to be sure. Uh, all right, let's get to su- surprises, more like breakouts. We're going to save like MVP, that kind of stuff, for the next one after this. But if you have to pick a surprise pitcher and a surprise hitter in a more encouraging way, where would you go with those two? Okay, so pitcher... Uh, I've been so happy that this guy made the opening day roster. He's deserved it. He's pitched really well. Uh, oddly enough, I don't think we've put him in a top 30 prospects list for the talking chop. He might have been on our first one that I was since I was here back in 2015. Uh, but Wes Parsons making is going to be my guy. I think he's in a, a carving out a role as kind of a a guy in the bullpen that can maybe throw some longer innings, maybe make a spot start here or there. And it's really easy to pick, you know. You know, Will Dansby might surprise everybody, and yeah, that would be awesome. But we've kind of seen some him, you know, 
make some turnaround. And we've seen him be a good baseball player, and he was a former number one overall pick. But a guy like Wes Parsons, who was undrafted, they found him in like a independent wood bat league, and they brought they bring him in, and you know he turns into a really good pitching prospect. Had some injuries uh, to derail his career, kind of in the you know 2015 2016 range, and then he comes back, and all he's done is pitch really well. And to see him make the roster, that, he's going to be my guy in terms of like a real surprise and one I'm really rooting for. As for hitters, that's a little tricky because it seems like everyone's really kind of solidified, really in their <laughs> roles. But yeah. I, I'll, I'll say Dansby uh, just because I think I think he's looked really good this spring, and it's not just you know the like the two homers back to back. Like the guy has been hitting the ball really hard. He had like one game where he hit three rockets, and two were like straight at the pitcher. That the only reason they caught him was out of self preservation, and the other one was another good play in the outfield. So he's he's hitting the ball really well. He's going the opposite way. He seems like he's kind of he's dialed in. So if I have to pick somebody, I guess I'll pick him just because he we expectations for him are basically at all time lows right now. And while I like his talent and based on how he looks, it necessarily wouldn't be super surprising if he was you know turned into an average or even above average hitter this year. Um, considering what we've seen out of him, you know, I'll I'll go with him. That's uh, it makes a lot of sense, and I think you'll you'll hear momentarily when we talk to Scott a lot of similar sentiment in that <laughs> one. Um, spoiler alert: when that is on the way. Um, okay, the big guns now: most valuable reliever, most valuable starter, and most valuable player on this team. I think um, you know, there's actually some room for surprises on these. There's there's some real choices. I I kind of made fun of this a little bit later with Scott too, but um, for the longest time, MVP of the Braves roster has been extremely easy to do with Freddie Freeman for like the last five years in a row. And uh, there's, actually, there's an actual decision to be made in some of these now. So uh, where are you at with, with, with these three categories? Okay, well, for the reliever, uh, I'm, I am going to say A.J. Minter. Uh, I don't think Viz is going to make it through the year. I think he's going to miss time with his shoulder stuff. probably a safe bet considering yeah, his he, 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 Yeah, and, and if so if you're looking at that combined with – I'm going to see a lot of different – I think we're going to see a lot of different names in that bullpen – kind of getting time here and there. We've already seen a couple of guys get shelled down to Gwinnett, and I think that that's going to be kind of that back and forth is going to be happening a good bit and you know finding people who can throw strikes and not walk the world uh, and keeping arms fresh that way, things like that. I do think that one of the constants is going to be that Minter is going to be in the bullpen, and he's going to be, I mean, he's going to be pretty well rested after that, that kind of his weird shoulder thing from that car wreck he had down in spring training, but I think he's going to be relatively fresh, and I I really do believe in his arm. He just the the, the action he gets on that breaking ball, combined with you know his ability to you know pipe in the high nineties, is I come from the left side. I I really do like him, and I think that he's he's going to end up being one of the he's going to end up being the best reliever in the bullpen. Uh, as for starter, this is tough because we don't we don't I'm, I. I, I, we had to answer this question for the, the roundtable on Talking Chop earlier, and I, I ended up picking Fulte mainly because I was like surprised at the number of people who weren't picking him. Yeah. But I know I know he's hurt and he has the bone spurs. But I mean, this is a guy who like had a sub three ERA last year, made a really big made really big strides, and was like a like a game one starter in the playoffs. Uh, I refuse to pick Julio Tehran. I don't care. I, 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 there's there's no world where I think that happens. And it's possible that a guy, you know, a Mike Soroka or a Kyle Wright or a Bryce Wilson ends up being, you know, putting it together like a rookie of the year type type year because there's a lot of really like high level of talent uh, in the Braves farm system. And you kind of hope that they can put together a year like that. But at the end of the day, I just think that Fulte is going to be the guy that ends up getting the most consistent production. Uh, as for most valuable player, I, I know that there's a hard decision to be made in some circles, but 
the answer is Ronald Acuna Jr. And the reason I say that is it's not a knock on Freddie at all. It's not a knock on Josh Donaldson at all. It's that this team's playoff chances live and die on Ronald Acuna Jr. having a good year this year. If he takes a step back and bats like 260 and isn't and isn't really good, the Braves have zero chance of making the playoffs. Zero. Fred, Freddie is going to be Freddie. And, you know, if Josh Donaldson isn't what he used to be, that is less than optimal. But there's, you know, whether it be if he's if he if he's injured the whole time, then, you know, we have a guy like Austin Riley in the in the farm system where he could come in and give real production, you know, potentially things like that. There's ways in which you can kind of get around maybe one of those guys not performing well, but I don't think you can replace what Ron Lacuni does on this baseball field with this roster. He's a guy that, you know, has speed and power and brings energy to this club. And I just don't think there's any way that if, if he is not good, the Braves will not be good. And so if I'm just using that as the metric for what, value means in terms of like the overall success of the team it's 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 that simple for me it's just that it's ronald acuna jr yeah i will uh, not argue with you i think there are three um legitimate candidates i think donaldson would be an aggressive choice um yeah but he he's at least capable it's... of it um i i talk about this a little bit i think with scott i can't remember if he said this or not because it's been a full day now but i think there is a non-zero chance like maybe a very 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 slim chance that Ozzy Albies has the best season of anybody on the team. Um, I wouldn't, I would never project that. That's not, that's, a, that's not something you can project. I do think Ozzy has, he the, has the, the talent ability. to do that. Yeah. I think it would, it would probably require um, Acuna kind of leveling off and then Freddie kind of just being a like normal Freddie season and have Ozzy just go crazy. But that's like not impossible. But I think it's basically four players that could do it, three guys you could realistically project. And two guys that you probably need to project one of the two. Like I think Donaldson, you know, is capable of obviously being an MVP candidate, but I, I think picking him to be the MVP on the team right now would be kind of aggressive. I agreed. And again, not a knock on Freddie Freeman. It's, it's entirely possible that Freddie ends up as like a top th- a top three NL MVP candidate this year, just because that's what Freddie does. He just he mashes doubles, hits some home runs, and all he does is the guy can just hit. But there's a reason why Ronald Acuna Jr. is being picked by a lot of people to as like a front runner candidate for the National League MVP this year. Uh, now, the number of people who aren't picking Juan Soto to be right there with him is confusing to me because I think those two guys are going to be going at it for a while. But um, he's you know he there's a he's he's really a special player and again without him the Braves have no shot none. Yeah, I think you're uh, on to something there, and uh, we'll use we'll use that as sort of a bridge to get to our uh, team predictions. Again, I'm saving my official one for when I talk to Scott right after a short break that's coming pretty soon. But uh, Eric, I need your official on the record um, final win total for the Braves, and importantly, the projection the, the projected order of finish in the National League East. Since only one team is assured to be in that in their spot, and that's the Marlins at number five, there is some legitimate uncertainty here. All right. Well, I look forward to my predictions being contrasted with your seventy-five win prediction. Braves finishing just ahead of the Marlins. That is not uh, what I said. <laughs> uh, I, I, I probably you, will. I, I probably will get some heat for what I said. Yeah. See, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm priming the people to be mad at you ahead of time, so that when they actually hear your predictions, they're pleasantly surprised. So they're no, they're gonna, they're going to be mad at me anyway, and I know that's coming um, because <laughs> nothing nothing short of projecting a Braves first place finish is going to please the fan base, and I understand that. And um, 
well, I'll the just people leave it there are, for now. Well, the people are going to be pleased with me. Uh, I have them going 90 and 72. Uh, I think it's a very similar finish. I think that they did not they they st- stood pat in some areas of their roster and got slightly worse, uh, potentially much worse, depending on how the catching situation goes. But I also do think that there were improvements made. I, I I think that the Josh Donaldson signing, there's real value there. I think the bullpen will be better. And I think the rotation has a chance to be slightly better, which kind of – it makes it all kind of even out for me. I understand the people who said that the Braves feasted on a weak division last year and didn't perform as well uh, against out-of-division foes. I think that some of that evens out on both sides is that in the sense that I agree that the division has gotten a little harder. But I also think that the Braves will com- – will compete better against non-division foes as well, which puts them right around where I think right, right around the same sort of win total from last year for me. Um, I don't think very much of the Phillies at all in terms of they're awful defensively. I don't, and I think that they have, they added some pieces that are interesting. Uh, obviously Bryce Harper and JT Realmuto are very good uh, at the plate, but I, I don't think they'd solve one of the fundamental problems with that club, which is, which is like defensively, they're legitimately terrible. And I think that the rotation in their bullpen for them to be incompetent, in, like competing for the division crown last year had to play so far above their heads and like outside of what I think that they're actually capable of doing uh, non Aaron Nola division. I think that that guy is legitimately great and he's probably a, he probably should be a Cy Young candidate this year, but the rest of the rotation, like they had to play so well just to keep them in ball games that I just don't necessarily think that they're going to be as good as some of their signings would indicate. Uh, and the nationals, again, they, they just lost Bryce Harper and there are areas of that roster that are either getting old or are, like they they lost they lost some players they're a little bit top heavy and that there's a depth question there in terms of like their overall roster they're relying on Juan Soto to continue to to produce uh, a guy like Victor Robles coming in and kind of replacing that sort of Bryce level production in order to kind of be able to keep pace with the Braves because I again they have Max Scherzer and Brad Cor- Patrick Corbin at the top of that rotation but beyond that, I mean, I'm not necessarily impressed with their bullpen and I'm not necessarily impressed with their entire roster. And the Mets are kind of the same thing. They have some big names, but they also have some real question marks uh, along their roster. So the order that I currently have them are Braves, then Nationals, then Phillies, then Mets. With those top four, there might be, you know, one team that's relatively close to the 500 and then maybe just, you know, a span of 10 games where all four of those teams are bunched together. And then the Marlins somewhere very distantly in last place where they might lose well over a hundred games. Yeah. That's the one thing everyone agrees on is that they're going to be really bad. Um, yeah. They're they're are. Yeah. They're bad. Yeah. They're really bad. Um, Spoiler alert, you're higher on the Braves than I am, which is not a, which is not a big surprise. Um, that's because you, you hate the team, Bradley. I do, that's true. I do I do want to get your thoughts on one thing that I did say I did say I did say to Scott and got his thoughts on, but one of my big concerns um, with this Braves team is that I don't think that they are necessarily elite in, in any one area. Um, they have elite players. They have two, they have at least two, probably three elite players. But you know, for instance, I use this as a reference, but Washington's rotation is elite. I think Philly's offense has the ability to be elite, especially with Bryce Harper. Um, the Braves don't really have a segment of their team that's like that. And that's, you know, it's, it's a little bit oversimplistic in some ways, but that also worries me because I think the rotation could be a legitimate weakness. Um, it could be a strength if the young guys work out well, but at the moment right now, there's a lot of uncertainty in the rotation. The bullpen, I kind of agree with you that it might be better than last year, but I'm not sold on that 100%. And the lineup... 
you know, was sneakily not that dominant last year. It'll be better this year, I think, with Donaldson clearly than it was a year ago. But I think you have to, to expect some reg- some regression in an overall sense from Arcacus, for instance. And I think, um, you know, maybe you get a little bit better production from Inciarte and Albies on a big picture level. But I don't know, man. Does that make sense to you? Like, is, is, the, is the lack of a dominant thing that you could just count on this season kind of scary at all for you? Uh, I wouldn't say it's scary. Uh, I also... It depends on, like, I understand what you're getting at, but I do think this team is elite defensively, which allows other things like your pitching That's staff to play, to play up a bit. I mean, there are two positions on this field where the Braves don't have above-average defenders. Two, catcher, which is debatable if you take into account pitcher, like pitch framing with, if, yeah, with if, flowers. If, if, you do, if you do frame and with right the flowers, actually is elite. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and, and like, that's, that's a perfectly reasonable argument. And right field. Who, and by the way, that right fielder won a gold glove last year because long gold, gold, glove, gold won gloves. Gold glove right yeah, field. You know I mean? But I mean, this is, this is a team that defensive, defensively has Acuna in Ciarte, Donaldson, Swanson, who is excellent defensively, Ozzie, who is really good defensively, Freddie, who's really good as a defensive first baseman, and like multiple like good pitchers who are good like good defensively. Those are legitimate. Those are legitimate pluses. And I think that when you have a young pitching staff and most of your most of the the team that you're fielding defensively is good to really good, that that helps some deficiencies. It helps you know those ground balls that maybe would have normally squeaked through. Those get picked up and you know and, and all that stuff and. It's, I, I I get I get what you're saying, but I think that being all being all around good versus you know being excellent in one area and not as other. It, this makes that makes this team hard to beat, and that's what happened last year. Sometimes they, you know, they clock three or four home runs and beat you eight to two, but then you know sometimes they just use scrappy base running and you know winning close pitchers duels. They they won games a lot of different ways, and I don't necessarily think that being good but not necessarily great in a bunch of different things is is a how do i put it is is a bad thing versus you know maybe having a bunch of power hitters in your lineup and you know you win 90 games by you know annihilating your opponents but then there's also gonna be those games where like a, a, a opposing pitcher just strikes out the world and all, you weren't ever even in the game so i just don't think it's necessarily a bad thing yep i uh i can see that to be sure so i think we're on the record here did you give it one total 90 and 72 90 and 72 you did yeah. 972. It's on the record. Uh, Eric's going to nail this thing to the win, and we're going to yeah. We're going to also celebrate. I, I, I was the closest last year. I'm telling you. Uh, you couldn't. Have, yeah, it wouldn't have been hard to be closer than I was. Uh, I don't remember. Oh well, yeah, I but, last but, year, but, yeah, yeah, like 62 wins, something like that. That's not what I said. That's not true. <laughs> it's untrue. Uh, blasphemy and all that fun stuff. But no, it's okay. It's going to uh, be on the internet now. Yeah, it's on the internet. It's officially out there. Um, yeah, I think that's probably good for this particular uh, segment of the podcast. But Eric, before we, uh, while I let you go, please plug yourself and uh, the podcast that will be returning in the very near future on this feed. Indeed. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K if you want to get a bunch of minor league uh, information about the Braves, regular Brave stuff, or just me kind of yelling at, gen- at people on the internet. Um, but more importantly, uh, the Road to Atlanta podcast is being relaunched. We are recording this Thursday. I can't guarantee it'll come out that Thursday night because we're, I'm still working through. I'm actually using a new microphone right now, and I want to make sure I can get all the audio editing and kind of the submission through the new feed done correctly. So it, I, I, I will say that I'm hopeful that it will be posted by this weekend. Um, but we are recording it this Thursday. It's going to be a minor league roster preview and kind of us, you know, welcoming ourselves back into the podcasting world. Uh, Garav and Matt are going to be joining me on that one while we get to all the, everything sort of set up and kind of get into the swing of things. 
Uh, it's going to be a podcast where we talk about all minor league baseball and what what's going on down in the in the minor leagues, who we like, who we don't like, what we what we think could we could see happening in the near future, and it's going to be a ton of fun. I've already talked to a lot of the old guests that were on Road to Atlanta, and most, if not all, uh, I honestly can't remember if it was all of them, uh, have agreed to come back on. So we're going to have a lot of those same names plus some other really interesting and exciting names that I can't reveal at this moment simply because I don't know when I can get them on. But it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of really, really cool content, especially when this is going to be one of the last really interesting drafts positions that the Braves are going to be in for a while, I would imagine. So, you know, we're going to be t- talking a lot of draft stuff. There's going to be a lot of Braves minor league stuff, and I'm really looking forward to bringing the show back. I've missed it. Yeah, I've missed listening to it, and uh, people that uh, are listeners to this podcast will know that that's not that's not really my strength. I can fake it a little bit, um, and I will always defer to you guys. And I'm a listener of Road to Atlanta, and I'm, I'm excited to have that all in one place. To be honest with you, so it should be yep. fun. Um, subscribe to this podcast, and you will get that one as well in the same feed. It'll be labeled differently, so you'll be able to tell which one is which when it's coming. Uh, also, follow us all on Twitter, and that'll be helpful as well. But um, plenty of content on the way. Um, minor league focused, major league focused. Big picture stuff, interviews. We have all kinds of stuff coming on on this podcast feed. So uh, please uh, take a minute and subscribe and tell your friends. Yeah, do that. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Eric. Um, after this short break for an ad, we'll come back with Scott Coleman, and uh, we'll see you guys in a few seconds. Scott, thank you for joining me, sir, for this addendum. And uh, I, I had to make sure that we got all, our, all of our predictions on the record. And uh, your predictions are something that, you know, we all value. It's just one of those things where uh, <laughs> none of this stuff's going to matter at the end. I know people are going to go back and listen to this um, in September and make fun of us because uh, we'll be wrong about a lot of stuff because that's what happens in baseball. But uh, we got we got to do it anyway. I will uh, I will strive to be perfect here, um, but I make no promises. Understood. <laughs> Same with me. I've already fired a bunch that people have heard on with Eric. I'm recording this separately, obviously, so I've already I, I've uh, talked to Eric. But here we are, and. Uh, We'll, let's just do it. We'll run through a few of these. Um, all right, Scott, if I was to ask you who the most disappointing pitcher and most disappointing hitter Ooh. on the team will be for the Braves this year, I know it's tough because uh, not – I mean, you can kind of, I guess, equivocate a little bit and say that no one will be a huge disappointment, but if I made you pick somebody, I had to make you pick somebody. I will say, you know, I, I've kind of gone back and forth a little bit this spring on it, but I think if I had to pick a disappointment of a pitcher, I think I would go – uh, with Sean Newcomb. I'm just not entirely sure. I was really hoping that bringing uh, Mike Fast and, and Brian McCann over would do him a lot of good, maybe help with his control, but I'm just not entirely sure. He, he doesn't look any different this spring. Again, not to put too much weight into um, you know into the spring, spring results, but um, I, I'm just not super encouraged there. Um, so I would probably lean towards Newcomb, and I'm not necessarily sure even that he's going to have a bad year, just maybe not take that next step that people are hoping um, that he takes. Um, for hitter disappointment, um, I'm going to go with uh, Johan Camargo, actually. And again, I don't think he's going to have a bad year. Uh, I just don't think he not playing every day. I think he uh, – I want to say – I don't want to say the Dodgers uh, exposed him at all during uh, during the playoffs, but I think they found some holes in his swing – um, he was pretty consistent last year. He was very good, obviously. Um, and when I say disappointment, I don't mean that he's going to become, you know, an unusable player or anything like that. But I just don't think he'll, um, of everybody who performed well last year, I think he's the most likely um, to not repeat what he did. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, I have, 
I've shared a little bit of this. I'm, I'm still going to do it uh, again with you here, though. Uh, disappointing uh, pitcher for me. Uh, Newcomb is someone who I did mention before. Um, I think that's a pretty good one, to be honest with you. And the rest, you know, the young guys can't really be disappointing. I know, I understand that, um, you know, they have a lot of talent, a lot of upside, but in general, I have a hard time giving anyone that kind of label, basically making their debut or pseudo debut. Like, you know, your Bryce Wilson's, your Kyle Wrights have been in the majors briefly before, but I can't really give that kind of thing to those guys. I think Newcomb's probably a good idea there. I would also say, uh, unfortunately, I would probably project someone like. Johnny Venters, if I had to pick somebody, because he's a little bit older, um, and I, I, hope, I hope I'm wrong about that. It's just one of those things where I'm not sure he was. I'm not sure he's quite as good now as he was at the end of last season. But I feel like that, that's blasphemy. So let's move on. Um, hitting wise, uh, my guy's Charlie, Charlie Culberson, and that's kind of a cop out in some ways. Um, I, I think I'm a little bit higher on Dansby, for instance, and you know the big the big guys are the big guys. They're going to be good, I think. Um, and you know Ender's kind of who he is at this point. Marquez is kind of who he is at this point. So you know starting the starting guys are kind of we've almost litigated that already. Um, Camargo's an interesting one in that I think you know the safe bets to say that he won't hit as well as he did last year, even when he plays. But I think he's still kind of proven that he's better than I thought he was going to be. So I have a hard time going there in full. Culberson. I think is someone who was definitely over his head last year, um, and that's kind of makes this an easy call for me because I think people now, maybe not the people that cover the team like we do day in day out, but I think generally fans really like Culberson and think he's better than he actually is. Um, he was better than he, you know, last year was a revelation, and we all looked kind of silly because we were killing him early in last year, and he was great. So uh, I'm prepared to be wrong again, but at the same time, he'd be the guy if I had to pick someone um, to sort of take a pretty big step back. I'd probably pick Culberson on that one. Yeah, and he has some. Yeah, you dig a little deeper on his numbers and not to take away uh, what a great year he had last year. But there is some some regression, I think, coming. I mean, you don't have to look super in-depth at the numbers to see that there's some some possible regression. Um, but again, if, if he's being counted on as kind of your second utility guy uh, off the bench instead of your primary weapon, and of course a guy who ended up being the starting shortstop during the playoffs, um, I, th- I think he's a little more better suited for that. And if he does regress... Uh, he won't hurt the team too much if if he falls back a little bit closer to his career norms. For sure, and that well, we can, we can kind of leave that one there. Okay, we'll go to, to the more po- the more positive stuff. I want to get the disappointing stuff out of the, out of the way early, so now we can sort of build to a crescendo here, Scott. Um, I'm going to save most valuable for last, but uh, if I was to ask you for a surprise pitcher and a surprise hitter, I know hitters tough because there are only so many of them and they're kind of all established. But if I made you answer these questions, where would you go? Um, pitcher, I actually was, uh, tweeting about this a little bit earlier. I think, uh, Kyle Wright is going to have a big time year. Um, and that's just not just based on his six or so, uh, spring training starts, which have been mostly good except for his most recent one. I think he's been a guy who, since the day he was drafted, and we talked a little bit about this too, during the, uh, pitching podcast. Um, but a guy who has all this stuff has the makeup, has the build, has, has the look of a frontline pitcher. Um, he's somebody who I think is going to, kind of have a Mike Soroka-like um, impact once he comes up, which is going to be on Sunday Night Baseball here in a couple of days, which would be really cool for him. Um, so he's he's my pick to break out. I think he has a chance to be one of the team's best uh, pitchers this year. Um, as far as hitters, I, I think Dansby is doing a lot of good things this spring. He's changed his swing a little bit. Uh, had an opposite field homer tonight, which was his first of, uh, you know, it's not an official home run, of course, but it was the first time in his big league career he's gone opposite field. Uh, which was pretty cool. Um, so I think Dansby has all the potential to break out. Needs to stay healthy, which is you know far from a guarantee. But 
Um, he's somebody who I think could have a really nice year at the plate, which obviously with his glove and speed uh, would make him a really valuable player. Yeah, I think you know, Dansby's almost the only answer at the plate, um, just because, I mean, I guess, you know, Ozzy could make a big leap. I think we saw that a little bit from Ozzy. You know, first half Ozzy would definitely qualify as still being a surprise as to how good he was because he was really, really, really good in the first half of last season. But I think people were kind of expecting that, so it's almost too easy of an answer. Dansby's the one that's sort of natural after that because, you know, you can't say Acuna. Everyone knows he's coming. <laughs> Freeman and Donaldson are what they are. Um, I can't imagine anyone saying surprise for Marcakis or Flowers or, um, you know, any of the safer guys in Ciarte. So, you know, it's basically has to be one of the middle infielders. Dansby's the natural candidate, so I'd probably lean there as well if I had to pick one, even though I think Ozzy will be better than Dansby, but I think everyone expects that. So it's not like that would be a huge uh, step. Uh, Pitching-wise, I will leave Kyle Wright to you. That's a pretty good one, though. And uh, I will still say Tukey uh, at some point. I'm not sure what role it's going to be in. Um, I know he's already been optioned and all that stuff, but he'll be up at some point. I'm pretty confident, and he'll be good when he's up. That's kind of all all I have on that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I know Tukey getting sent down um, was a little bit of a disappointment. He's had a little bit of an up-and-down spring, but as you said, a guy who has all the tools and um, really just doesn't have a ton of experience above AA. He, of course, had such a quick rise last year that you forget that um, he really is a guy who was in the lower levels of the minors before 2018. So I think uh, it never hurts to get more experience. The guy who's only 22 uh, hopefully improves his command because he certainly has the stuff to get big leaguers out. For sure, I'm all, and I'll be excited when he's uh, up the first time because he's uh, the guy who I think I, I think I enjoy watching pitch the most of all these guys. So there you go on that. All right, let's get to the big guns now. Most valuable relief pitcher. Scott, and that's that's a difficult one in some ways, but it's also not that difficult because I think there are pretty much only two candidates. Can we get, is this where we get our weekly Craig Kimbrell mention in? Uh, uh, that would be nice. I think uh, as of time, um, just, for, just in case something goes crazy wrong here, we're recording this on Monday night. So if Kimbrell signs on Tuesday, you will still hear this podcast and probably be laughing at us right now. But yes, I think that's it's appropriate that we get it up. Um, if I had to pick, boy, um, I, I mean... I guess I'll say AJ Minter. Um, he's he's. It sounds like he's going to be fine. It sounds like he's going to be ready. Maybe that first uh, after the first week he'll come back. Maybe for the Cubs or the Marlins series during opening week uh, at SunTrust. So I, I think Minter, guy who was obviously good last year, um, about a little bit of injury, but whenever he is, whenever he's right, he has that filthy stuff from the left side. So I will say AJ Minter will be the bullpen MVP. I am going to say Royce Vizcaino, although that's partially because I think the consensus will be Mentor. Mentor is a younger, flashier, more exciting pitcher. Aroides has kind of been around for a long time. I think when Aroides is around, though, he's good, and there's nothing really holding him back at this moment. So I'll go there, even though no conviction whatsoever on that. It's one of those two guys, though. I'd be huh. pretty surprised. If, yeah. if it was anybody else, I'd be, I'd be pretty surprised. But Yeah, I think maybe like, I guess like a Chad Sabatka could come out of nowhere and maybe steal the closer role if the guys struggle or injuries happen. Um, maybe Jesse Biddle. love recently. Yeah, Wes Parsons. I mean, hey, if you, if you throw strikes and don't walk everybody, I think at this point, uh, you know, if, if you aren't walking every batter, which is what it seemed like the bullpen was doing last August and September, I think that you're going to get a serious look. And that's why, as you said, Wes Parsons, who has, I think, one walk all spring uh, through like 15 um, – or no, through like 10 innings or so. I think that's why he's getting such a serious look. So throw strikes, please. If, if you throw strikes, you're <laughs> probably in the bullpen. 
Yeah, strikes are uh, good. Uh, okay, we can move on from there. Most valuable starting pitcher, and this one is uh, more difficult than it was going to be a month ago. I think everyone would have said Fulty a month ago, and now it's not maybe as easy of a choice. Yeah. Um, hmm. You know, I, I think there's the potential for Fulty if he can get healthy to be oh, the certainly. MVP. Um, but, you know, I, I made my, my – we're talking about bold predictions. I think um, I honestly could see – uh, one of the rookies doing it. I think Kyle Wright has the potential. Um, I even think a guy like Bryce Wilson or, or Tukey, if given the chance, could could end up having that title. Um, they have the stuff. We saw how impressive they were in September. I, I think the only issue with predicting one of them, of course, is just the number of innings and the number of starts they're going to get. Those guys aren't going to likely get 170, 180 innings. I don't think anyone on the rotation, really, other than maybe Fulty or Julio, are going to get that. Uh, you know, above 30 starts, which is not a bad thing by any means. So um, I'll go Fulty, but I think if if he's not healthy, I truly think one of either Kyle Wright, Tukey, Bryce Wilson, Max Reed, one of those guys has a real chance to step up and claim that spot. Yeah, nothing crazy at all about that. Um, I think I would still pick Fulty um, at this moment here in late March, provided he arrives on time as of we know, as of the point that we know now, I think he is... Um, the gap between him and everybody else on a per inning basis will be good enough to give it to Fulty. Um, if I had to pick somebody else, though, I would go with Kevin Gosman. I still believe in Kevin Gosman. I think more than most people do. I know he's going to start the season on the IL, but he's projected to start like April 5th or something. Um, like he'll be that's yeah. basically a full season. If he's back, yeah. then he's going to have 30 starts um, if he's healthy. So no reason you couldn't rule him uh, into this. And I, I think I'm higher on him than the consensus. So if Fulty is on track, I'm going with Fulty, and if something weird happens, I would take Gosman. But you're not crazy. The rookies could certainly. I, I'd probably pick Wright out of all of those guys because he's going to open the season in the rotation, and I think he's just so his, his upside's very high, and I think he's just more he's more polished than Tuki is. Um, and you know, Tuki not not getting the start out, out of the gate kind of leans me towards Wright. I think Wilson would be third of those guys for me, and if, I wish Soroka was healthy because he would be probably the choice. But yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take uh, in this in this order. I would say Fulty, Gosman, and then Wright. Um, I'm sorry, Sean Newcomb. I, I I just can't do it until I see something else. But um, yeah, that's where I'll leave it for there. Yeah, I think you know you mentioned Soroka. Now, of course, we're all going to kind of hold our breaths until we actually see him in a game. But the fact that he's throwing it seems fairly normal right now, uh, and his shoulder hasn't bugged him for about a month or so at this point. Um, you know, if 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 he can show up at the beginning of May and start pitching games. Uh, he absolutely could claim that title because we all saw how good he was in his, uh, I think it was five or six starts that he made last summer, just how he threw strikes. He got ground balls, which obviously plays well with the infield defense. Uh, you know, he's he's everything you want from a young pitcher as far as command and polish and all that. So, yeah, if if, if uh, Soroka's shoulder can, can hold up, uh, if he gets a chance to make 20 or so starts this year, I think he could absolutely be, at least on a per-start basis, one of, if not the best teams, uh, if not the team's best starter. Yeah, I think he has that in him to be sure, and we'll, we'll hope for health on Soroka. Okay, um, this is going to be harder than in the past. The last few years, it's been Freddie Freeman by a lot, um, always preseason. Most valuable player on this team um, is now interesting in some ways. So, Scott, where are you at with this, if I make you choose? You know, I, I think the, the good part about this question is that you have three or maybe even four legitimate options to be the team's MVP, which is a nice change of pace, as you said, just not penciling in Freddie. 
Um, I think and, there are three, could, by the way. I, w- I can't go to four yet. I'm just, I'm sorry. I can't I can't do it yet. I think I think Ozzy iffy. Yeah, but I, I think when I, I say mean, it's, four, it's, that's not impossible, but you can't pick it. That's, that's my thing. Like no, he could no. certainly do it. I think that's like within the one percent possibility realm. I just think you can't pro- like flat out project it. <laughs> like, you yeah, know what I mean? no, I agree. And he has, you know, yeah. I mean, the, the three obvious answers are Acuna, Freeman, and, and Donaldson. Um, I'll pick Acuna. I think earlier again, I was talking about some bold-ish predictions, and it's not even that bold because a handful of publications have it. But I think Ronnie finishes in the top three in MVP voting. Um, he was just so good last year. He's having a terrific spring. He, he does everything you want. Just an incredible talent. I think it was somebody the ESPN predicted today he was going to become the youngest player to steal 20 bases and hit uh, 30 homers since like Alex Rodriguez did when he was 23. Um, I, I th- obviously the sky's the limit for Acuna. I think Josh Donaldson has a real chance. Um, he has obviously a chance to it. Comeback player of the year with, with the injuries he's dealt with last year. Um, and you can't go wrong with Freddie uh, just being Mr. Consistent. He's really been just so good and so consistent for uh, seven or eight years now. But if I had to pick uh, MVP, I, I think I would take Acuna at this point. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Uh, I'm going to be true to my uh, normal self and take the um, track record over the upside um, in terms of the safety pick, and I'm going to take Freddie. Um, with that said, no one, and I mean no one, will be surprised if it's Acuna. He's that good. Um, he's the one prospect since I've been doing this that I actually like put in the untouchable category and like treat as such. He's that good. Um, so... And obviously, he's not even a prospect anymore. He was—he's proven it now. He was an MVP caliber player for what three months, four months. Um, he was fantastic. So, uh, you know, I'll take Freddie in a bounce back. I do have a little tiny bit of concern about Freddie's power from last year, oh, just a tiny bit. Um, but at the very least, even if he's just that guy, he's like a four-one player, and that's um, still very, very good. Um, but Freddie's also capable of being like a seven-one player. He's—he's he's you know when, when he's right, there was like a two-year stretch where he was like the second best hitter in baseball. <laughs> Or something like pretty crazy yeah, behind Trout. He like he's, um, you know, Freddie's still. I think people have almost not forgotten about Freddie Freeman, but I think with all the Acuna love that's all warranted, Freeman's like almost operating in a little bit quieter place because he's just not yeah. the flashy guy and he's not the media guy and he's just he's still awesome. So yeah, I'll he's take over, Freddie. You know, but he's, it's, he's boring. Yeah. He does, he shows up. He's going to hit close to three hundred. You said the power is a little bit of a concern, which is which is legit, but. Dumb stretch of last year, a, it, just, it just wasn't really there. I mean, I, I'm not yeah. worried about it, but it is, it is worth pointing out. I think we talked about it on the, line, on the lineup preview too that Freddie was like a pretty pedestrian hitter. Like he was still a good hitter down the stretch for about for like the last three months, but he was more of a guy who you would not be like overjoyed by. And I'll take the track record over that, but it's just something to keep in mind as he gets older. Like because you know you, you, I think people forget this too. Early in his career, like, there was some really some real worry about his power. Um, not like he would be bad, but not that he would be a super duper star. And then he kind of put that away for a while. And then now it might be coming back just a tiny bit. You know, it's still a small sample size, but clearly I'm not worried because I'm just picking, I just picked him oh, over yeah. Acuna, but yeah, yeah, just want something to point out. Yeah, no, he's, he's all reliable. He's kind of that has that Tim Duncan feel to him, you know, which you're going to get every year. He's going to show up, he's going to perform and, and it's a good thing to have. For sure. Freddie's awesome. And uh, as we both said there, there are three guys. You know, I think Donaldson is fully capable if he uh, puts together a season like he did, you know, even two years ago. Um, and yeah, for probably he four crushed, years in a row. <laughs> he, he could be there. He too. crushed, yeah, he crushed a double tonight in the exhibition oh, that was game. Great. He, he smoked it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, uh, that, that kind of gave me the feels a little bit that it's, uh, it's time. 
but yeah, that was a that was a fun one, and uh, he's very very good. And that's the one thing that's not a weakness of this team is the top three hitters. Uh, the rest of the lineup could be a question mark. At eh, times. Top four hitters, maybe. Maybe top four. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, again, we, we've seen Ozzy do it for a half season. If he does it for the yeah. full season, then sign me up. Um, yeah. Okay. With that as sort of the bridge here, we have to finally get it on the record, Scott. Uh, I got Eric's prediction already. Oh, no. It's time to get yours. And at least order of finish and win-loss Ooh. record because last year we were all very low. Everyone was too low in the world, and we were silly uh, as a result. But um, this is a tough one because I think most people – now, I'm taking Braves fans out of it. I think most people are not picking the Braves to win the NL East this year. Yeah. Some people yeah. are, to be sure, but I think the majority are picking either Washington or Philly. What say you, my friend? Ooh. You know, I'll say this. I truly think all four teams have a good chance at winning. Um, I think the Nationals on paper have the most complete 25-man roster, although they've had the most complete 25-man roster for, you know, five or six years now, and and they haven't won every year, and that's why you play uh, a full season worth of games. Um, I think the Mets, obviously, if it comes down to their pitching, uh, if their pitchers are healthy, I think they have – if they get – uh, 60 starts or no 90 starts out of DeGrom, Syndergaard and Wheeler. If they, they all make 30 starts and throw you know, 200 innings, they're going to have a fantastic year. Um, but of course that's the big question. Uh, the Phillies are going to have a loaded lineup though. I do worry a bit about pitching. I don't think it's as good as people think. I think they have some big holes after Aaron Nola. Um, and, and we obviously all know about the Braves. So with that said, people are going to laugh. I'm going to take the nationals to win the division. I think they're going to win the division with about 90 games. Um, I have the Braves uh, at with 88 wins. I think they're going to lose a f- or win a few less than last year, um, but I still think I think they're going to finish 88 and 74. I believe right, 88, 74. Yes. Um, and I have them getting a wild card spot. Um, I think that this team has is a better team than the one that uh, that won 90 last year. But I also think the division has gotten much, much better for reasons we just outlined. So I'm going to take the Phillies winning the division. The Braves finish second, win 88 games with a wild card spot. Um, I'm going to take the Phillies in third. Uh, They're going to just miss out. I think they're going to have about 85 or 86 wins. Um, And then I'll say the Mets uh, have their usual kind of run of weird injuries um, and and don't quite get there. Um, Though I do think they have the potential to uh, be good and say they finish right around 500 or so. Um, and then, of course, the Marlins in, in last. Yes. The one thing that is secure is the Marlins in fifth place. Um, everyone's going to pick that, and they'd be right because they're awful. Uh, but uh, I yeah. agree with you on number four. I'm going to put the Mets in fourth. Um, I also agree that I think any of the top four could win the division. Um, that includes the Mets. I think I would give them the least chance to do so, but they certainly could. If they stay healthy with the rotation, they can be scary. We've seen that in the past. Um, if they don't, then they will fall apart. <clears throat> and a hurry, but uh, you have to at least acknowledge the upside with the Mets. Um, ooh, I am going to be controversial on this podcast and uh, put the Atlanta Braves in third place. Ooh. And people don't like that, and I know that. Um, this is sort of on my brand to be the lowest. Um, I understand that I'm leaning in a little bit to that. Um, for the record, I'm actually higher than Vegas is because Vegas has the Braves somewhere in the 84.5 to 85.5 range. Uh, in terms of wins, and they were they're projected number three in all the systems and all the Vegas over unders. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I would take the over on the Braves at 84 and a half, 84, 85 and a half. I'm gonna say my official prediction. 
is 87 and 75, um, which I know I'll, I'll be called a hater. probably already am at momentarily. I haven't, I haven't posted the podcast yet. Someone's spying on us. So I already have <laughs> I a can already hear mention yeah. in, my, can already uh, hear in my Twitter replies. But um, just want to point out that I'm higher than the Vegas. I'm taking the over on the Braves. The over on the Braves. Um, and saying 87-75 in third place. Um, I will say... Uh, this is the tough one. I, I am going to take the Phillies to win the division, which is, I, I think, maybe somewhat of a reverse jinx on the Phillies. Um, in my brain, uh, I think you know, if they did if they did not sign Harper, I would not be doing this. But if you you going, I think people have almost forgotten how much the Phillies did in the offseason. They went and got Real Muto and Harper and McCutcheon, and McCutcheon's not great anymore, but he's still better than what they had. In the outfield, like that's going to be, they're pretty scary in a lineup. If we're being honest with each other, um, and I trust some of the bullpen guys. They went and got David Robinson. David Robertson. Uh, the rotation is potentially the weakest of the of the three. Um, if the Braves lock in, but I think Nola. I like Nola more than everyone the Braves have, including Fulte. So having him around helps. Washington's rotation is better than um, Phillies or Atlanta's. But I just, you know, the you know the Nationals thing, I had them written down at some point when I was thinking about this. And every year we pick them and they never win. So well, maybe they, that's something they never win, but they always just dis, often disappoint, I should say. Yeah, so, when was the last time the Nationals outperformed expectations? They don't Almost, really never, do that. Um, even when they won the division recently, they were like not quite as good as they were supposed to be. Like they were projected like with like a hundred wins and they didn't get there. All that yeah, fun they stuff. won the year that no one in the East won more than like 75 games. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, and I, I think they could certainly win it. Um, and I'm picking them ahead of the Braves, knowing that I'm gonna get yelled at about that. But uh, yeah, I'll take, I'll take Philly. I don't have any confidence in this whatsoever. I know Zach Dillard and I spent about 20 minutes kind of laughing about how no one has any idea about the NL East a few weeks ago when we talked on this podcast. Um, I, I have no idea. I'm only doing this because we have to do this, and I think uh, people will yell at us if we don't predict things. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna again one more time just say Phillies, Phillies one, Washington two, Braves three, Mets four, and Marlins distant fifth. But I have zero conviction, and that would not surprise me at all if the Braves won the division. It wouldn't surprise me that much if they finished fourth. Uh, real quickly here, Scott, I didn't prep you for this, so take your, take your time. But if I asked you for a floor and a ceiling for the Braves, realistically, what would you say to that? Because that's more of an interesting question to me, I think. I would say a ceiling of probably, ooh, boy, with a tough division, I would say a ceiling of like 94 wins, which would be four more wins than last year's team. And I mean, 94 wins is a lot. Um, especially in a good division. It's a little different if you're like the Indians in the AL Central when you're beating up on, you know, three or four teams that are just bad. Um, I think the ceiling is 94. The floor, you know, I could see just a hand, you know, Donaldson gets hurt again, you know, God forbid, but if Freddie or Acuna would get hurt and if the young pitchers, you know, pitch like 23 and 24-year-olds, I think the floor is probably like 78, 79 wins, which... I mean, it wouldn't be the worst season in the world to be around 500, but certainly not good. And you're talking about a 10 or 12 game drop off. Um, I don't, I don't think or foresee that happening. It would require just major, major injuries. Um, but I think the floor is probably in the upper 70s, maybe even 80 games, uh, somewhere in that range. Yeah, I think we're pretty close together on this one. Um, I actually worry a little bit more about the rotation. Um, honestly, I know you mentioned the injury to Donaldson. That would be something that would hurt. But you have you have Camargo, which kind of lessens that risk just a little bit because he's, I think, a proven you know starting caliber player. That helps you. But um, 
I, my worry is in the rotation. If things don't go well with Fulte, for instance, um, I know the young guys have talent, but it does scare me quite a bit. And this is honestly the reason I think that I'm not picking the Braves a little bit higher is that you're looking at a rotation where I, I don't really trust many people in the rotation. Like, trust right now. I, I really like Kyle Wright's stuff. I really like Bryce Wilson. I think Tukey, obviously, I'm on record as loving Tukey. Um, and I like Kevin Gosman a little bit, but I, I don't really trust anyone to be good. Like, flat-out, majorly good right now, other than Fulty. He's probably the only guy that I trust. Um, maybe Gosman would be a close second if you try to if, you, if I try to find one, but there's there's just, there's just more risk involved when you're talking about relying like flat out relying on kids like this. Like yeah, it might work, it know. might work, but like it, weirdly, I would probably feel better. When I, and I, and I, I was not advocating for this, but if they if they brought back somebody like Anibal, like somebody like that, I mean, I know they have Julio, I get it, but Julio is not like I trust Julio to be a number five starter reliably, maybe four. But like I, I, I don't think you, can, I don't think you can necessarily trust him to be good, like yeah, flat sure. out, like helpful good. You know, um, you so, don't. Yeah, yeah, no, that, you're that's right. My word, that's have, my worst. That's my worst spot. That's for me. Yeah, that's, no, that's my worst spot. Yeah, you don't have the certainty with the Nationals again. Always, you know, health assuming. But the Nationals know what they're getting out of Scherzer, yeah, out of Strasburg, their rotation is still good. Yeah. You know, even even the Mets. I mean, again, you you always. See, wonder if they're going to stay healthy. But I mean, Degrom, of course, had one of the best seasons ever. Syndergaard is really, really good. You know, Wheeler's taking steps forward. Steven Matz has kind of settled in as a middle, the back end lefty. You know, you you just know a little bit more, and that's not a bad thing. It's you know, the Braves, as as we all know, we're a year ahead of schedule, um, and, and it's just a big year for all those young guys you mentioned for the Braves. Um, you know, they're they're going to get thrown into the fire here in about four days, and uh, that's not to say that everyone's a finished product when they're 22 or 23, but uh, we're certainly going to learn in a hurry what, what kind of pitching the Braves have uh, with as tough as the schedule is. And, and you just, like you said, you just don't know what kind of pitcher you're going to get when these guys only have a handful of appearances above, uh, you know, outside of the minor leagues. Yeah. It's not a shot at any of them. Cause I, I think, again, I'm pretty high on all of their talent. It's just, you look at this rotation entering the season and you're going with, you're going with the six man rotation without faulty. And it's like, this could go badly. I'm not saying it's going to, but it could. And then we throw in the fact that I think we are a little bit lower on the offense just because outside of the top three, maybe four, there's some uncertainty. I mean, I think there is some safety in Enciarte and Marquecas, but it's not inspiring safety. Like, it's like league average production safety, which is fine, but it's not like there's not a huge strength on this team. That's That's kind of my problem with the Braves this year on an overall sense is that I guess the strength is the top three hitters, but you know the rota- the the rotation is not a strength in my opinion. The bullpen is not a strength in my opinion. The lineup is could be a strength pretty easily if all three guys do what do what they're supposed to do, and you get a and you get a breakout from Albies. Like sure, it looks like a strength, but they're just not like the Nats. The Nats have a dominant rotation. The Phillies have a dominant lineup. The Braves don't have that. So that's kind of that's kind of where my dividing line is, and I'm, again, I might be wrong. We were wrong last year, and I'm prepared to be that. And again, I'm not that low. I'm, ha- I'm picking them for the Vegas over, so it's not like I'm going crazy here. But that's kind of where my uncertainty lies a little bit more is that they just don't have that one thing that they can fully rely on. I mean, I guess you could point to Freeman and Acuna, but the, the, the two guys can't carry in an eight-man lineup. That's not that's not necessarily how that works. 
Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's I think it's a matter of just kind of across the board. The Braves aren't necessarily weak in any spots, but they also don't shine in any one category, whereas the other teams probably shine a little bit more in one spot, but aren't as as strong across the board. So you know, one way, I, the only, we talk about all the uncertainty. I think the one certainty is that this division is going to be loaded. I think there's a chance it's the toughest division in baseball. Maybe the NL Central takes that, but one way or the other, it's going to be really tough, and you consider you're going to play around 60 games against the Nats, Phillies, and Mets. Um, every game is going to be important, um, and it, it should be a lot of fun. For sure, and I'm glad we can get all this on the record. I've kept you longer than I was supposed to. Scott, thank you for joining me on the pod. Um, we'll be back, as always, um, hopefully getting back to a closer Sunday schedule. It won't always be Sunday, but the majority of the time will be Sunday, and Scott will be prominently involved. But please plug yourself, sir, as you always do. Yeah, uh, good stuff is always on on the site at Talking Chop. We'll have full coverage being opening week, opening day, all that good stuff. Um, on Twitter, it's Scott Coleman fifty five, and and then of course Talking Chop and uh, all that good stuff. So it should be a lot of fun this year. It will be, and uh, thanks for joining me, sir. Everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast. Please tell a friend about the pod, and also Road to Atlanta is coming back, which I I know I've talked about with Eric couple of times but that's gonna be on this same feed so we'll have plenty of content it won't just be me that you're hearing that you're hearing which i'm sure people will be excited about yes some prospect stuff and uh, a break from my vocal cords so please subscribe to all your friends and i'll be back again at the end of the